Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Frustick. And this is the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we're talking about God of War Ragnarok. Not all of it. Don't worry about spoilers. We are strictly embargoed. And I can assure you of one thing, and that is that Sony does not want a single thing about this game spoiled for you, story-wise. So we will not be talking about, you know, insert uh, audio here where it's clear that I'm not talking about a thing, and we won't be talking about that other thing either, but we will be talking about what it feels like to smash a demon's head open with a blunt object. Spoilers. I don't even know if we've seen a demon. I mean, they're all kind of demons, you know? You know, aren't we all demons on the inside? Wow, somebody's been listening to Nine Inch Nails for the season. Um, What's going on with you? How are well, you doing? I, 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 I'm good. I had an important question to ask. Oh, I love questions. Well, I guess we should... The, the way to best present this question is, is simple. Start talking to me about something that I absolutely have no interest in. Oh, I mean, one of my hobbies... So, well, Nier Automata is actually out on Nintendo Switch. And I don't know if you've played it yet. Have you played it? Hey, Chris Plant. Uh-huh. I have diarrhea. Is this like a technique that you're showing the this audience? This is a technique. Okay. And I want to spread this technique with the world. You want to spread diarrhea? No. No, it's a serious condition, but okay. I want to spread this specific technique with the world and say, if there's ever a conversation that you want to end very abruptly, there might be no better thing to say than, I have diarrhea. Cha-cha-cha. So, when... <sighs> Do I want to know how you figured this out? I mean, I'm just, this is more a study of humanity than anything else. But it like, feels like it's like a, like a hard-learned life lesson. No, I've never actually been in a situation where I've used this in earnest to end a conversation. So you're giving advice to our many considerable number of people who listen to this show. Yeah. That you yourself have never taken. That's true, but can, but look inward and think about this. If you were having a conversation with someone and uh-huh. they in the very abruptly said in the middle of the conversation, I have diarrhea, is there any possibility that you would ever look to continue that conversation with that person? No, but there's so many ways that you, you could be like, oh, I drank way too much coffee this morning and then like point to your tummy and they'd be like, oh, I, I'm I mean, sorry. that's effectively the same thing, which is to say you have diarrhea. But yeah, like, but it's the words matter. That's literally our profession. You're right. And I think in the shortest number of words that is ending every conversation imaginable. It is like, <laughs> like the Jesus perfect wept. Yes. <laughs> like precisely it's like right. The three words have more power than I've maybe you can even really reduce it to like I've diarrhea. Uh yeah. I think I've that might diarrhea. lose some of the f- the force. Oh, so you I think like, you need I have diarrhea. I think you need all three. Uh-huh. And honestly, it's like, you know, you might. It's possible. No one's going to really investigate it further, right? Ooh, I want to keep talking about this, but I have diarrhea. Oh. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Had a quick bathroom break. And we're going to talk about God of War Ragnarok, at least what we can. Here are the boundaries, because we should make them clear to you. We can talk about, I would say, probably the first 
four to maybe like six to eight hours. Yeah, I don't know about six to eight. I think it's like four to five. This sounds like somebody didn't do the side quest, which we're going to talk about. No, I didn't. You're right. Um, They are ginormous. Uh, Here's what we won't be talking about. Like any big story reveals. And don't worry, there honestly there aren't that many. Very light in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, anything that would be, I would say like an obvious big spoiler, anything that's outside of the marketing campaign. Yeah. What we will be talking about is, Hey, does the game look or feel noticeably different? It's mm. on PS5 now. Yeah. Does it, has it changed in any unique, interesting ways? Is Kratos just still doing that sad dad shtick or, or, or what's going on? And then also, um, we're gonna. I'm excited to talk about the side quest stuff because I think what they're doing with side quest, what they're doing with armor and upgradables in this game, are pretty substantial changes. So, with that in mind, how did this game hit you, Russ Freshdick? Yeah. Um. So I'm playing on PlayStation Five. Um. And my initial thought is that. It runs very smoothly. I don't think when it launched on PlayStation 4, even when it launched the original game, when it launched on PlayStation 4, even on a pro, I don't think that it hit 60 frames a second. I think it was a steady 30, if I recall correctly, and then later was patched into a 60 frames a second. But here, I am playing at a very buttery smooth 60 frames a second. Um, I think it even, I think on a day one patch will support even higher than that. And so that was my immediate like, oh, this is, much nicer just to like play this game with silky smooth very steady frame rates which it has it's incredibly smooth um i think visually it looks gorgeous still i mean the first game i think was a real like example of like amazing art design like bringing life to these worlds and it still looks gorgeous but i would say it also in the way that um horizon uh, forbidden west wasn't from a like total like bombastic visual standpoint yeah. on the level of the games that are uh, PlayStation 5 exclusive games. So the Demon Souls remake and Ratchet and Clank, those two games, there is an element at which it is clearly cranked up a little bit more. But even with that said, I think this game continues to be one of the most stunning games I've seen just because a I mean a it's gorgeous like lighting and everything but b because the art design is so strong and they really just do an amazing job bringing this thing to life yeah I I think an interesting thing about when you change uh, generations of video game hardware right is that up until this point video game developers have worked really really hard to learn tricks that trick your eye into seeing something that isn't like literally there. And what mm. I'll give it as an example is lighting is like the ultimate version of this, right? Game developers have spent decades figuring out how to make lighting look realistic. Yeah. So that now that ray tracing is available to us, we're like, I mean, a lot of people don't see the difference just yet. I mean, me. Yeah. And I, I, and I think about that it a lot. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that'll change as ray tracing gets more powerful and, you know, and people invest more in taking advantage of it. But what what happens is, yeah, the uh, I mean, even look at the Super Nintendo 3D graphics of like a Donkey Kong Country, right? They figured out how to fake 3D and then you have the real 3D of that era and it looks like a few like squares moving around. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's a tricky thing. 
And I think that is what I, I'm getting from this new God of War, which it doesn't feel like it was made for a PS5. feels like it was made with the same kind of tricks to create an illusion of scale that was possible on the PS4. Yeah, it feels like it was made for maybe a PS4 Pro or something like that. And then they were like, but a PlayStation 5 is going to be able to fucking annihilate this game. Yes. And so you're going to be able to run it at 60 frames a second or higher. You're going to be able to run it in 4K, all sorts of stuff. That's the vibe of it. And honestly, like for 99% of the people, you're not going to necessarily notice the differences that like kind of jump out at me about some like lighting stuff or whatever it is because you and and really within the first 10 minutes i was just like in it and was able to just have it absorb me so it it didn't bother me either um so i think for most people they're just gonna like dig it but i would say like it doesn't feel to me like a generational leap no it feels like a a, like if um it feels like the, just the natural progression of God of War One. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, I would say that like this is a sequel in the like truest sense, in the Halloween to Halloween Two sense, in the we are right where we left off, and now we're going to get more of that to the point where there are skills that you acquired in God of War One, and you know, in a lot of games, you kind of reacquire your skills. Yeah, not so here. Well, so, in like, some cases. In, in some cases, but there are others where, like, there were doors, that, or I guess there were kind of like mirrors that you could crack open. And the first time I went to open one of those portals, you, you know, you bash it open, the talking head was like, oh, yeah, we still know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, thank you for hanging a lantern on it. Yeah, but the the point you're making about, like, whether this is like a full-on total reimagining versus like a more of a true sequel it continues not just for the visuals, but also for the gameplay. I think it's fucking astounding. And I'm pretty sure this was our game of the year when the original game came out. It's fucking astounding how much they did right in the first game about the core combat and mm. how like really fascinatingly original it was just in the, in terms of how it felt and the inputs and the like combos you could do where you're switching weapons on the fly. It was, it's really a remarkable feat. And so to that effect, They have not been like, fuck all that stuff. We're going to start from scratch and do something completely different, at least in the the bits that we've played. Yeah. So So, let's dig into that. The combat, especially. I think it's pretty dramatically improved. I I really like the combat in God of War 1, but I think mostly what I liked was throwing the axe. I think it felt really badass to like throw an axe for it to stick in something and then for you to call it back and for it to hit everything on the way back, right? And sure. then there was that like special uh, gem or whatever that could slow time, I think, if you did a dodge right. And that was most of the fun. But a lot of the fighting was there was a group of things, and then you like picked things off one at a time, you know, excluding the boss fights. In this game, it feels almost like um, almost like Doom in a weird way, where I feel myself using the arena a lot more. Like really making sure I have good positioning because there are enemies coming from underground, there are flying enemies, there are ground enemies that are traveling in groups, but then some of them will break off and climb on the walls and Mm. start like throwing projectiles at you. It's not just like, oh, here's a ground enemy, here's a sniper, and here's blank. Take them off in the right order. It's like, no, you really need to make sure things aren't flanking you or tailing you um, because it effectively like prevents you from 
using the the block parry mechanic that I I just felt like I, I could crush in the previous game that I was always making it work. Yeah, I think uh, you know, in the previous game there there were a lot of moments. I would say most combat encounters had more than one enemy to face. So I don't think it was like unless it was a boss, usually you're fighting more than one person. Oh yeah, but... I mean they weren't doing different things though. That's true. Yeah. I would I would add to that. I think the big difference here not only are they like kind of doing different things, but also the environments are way bigger such that like yeah. I don't ever remember like doing a lot of like jumping to different platforms or climbing up on platforms in the middle of a fight. It was mostly like arena where there'd be like this one central area and people would, you know, tr- attack you and then you'd clear them out and you'd move to the next arena. But here it feels like you know, Doom's a good example because you're constantly on the move. You're constantly like clamoring up or like, you know, using your blades to like hook shot your way to a ledge in the middle of combat and then like doing like a jump down to slam the ground to like attack a bunch of people at once. It's just way more mobile, which which feels quite good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a great way of putting it. And it just... I, I feel like I'm, I'm I, it's weird. I, on one hand, I feel like I'm in less of a flow state in this game because again, it was so simple. It was almost again, closer to the Batman Arkham games. Again, I'm not talking about control. I'm just talking about how you encounter mobs in yeah. the first one. And I could lock in, but it, I don't know by the end outside of the, the really hard bonus boss fights, I was just, you know, it was kind of paint by numbers and in this one, I feel like I'm painting like an artist because like there, there, it, there's so much creativity. There's so much room in terms of like, well, how do I want to take this on? Yeah. Like, I'm going to, you know, freeze this character with my axe and then I'm going to climb up and take on an enemy while he's frozen. And then the second he comes unfrozen, I'm going to jump back down and slam on him. And then I'm going to pick him up with my axe and throw him off an edge. Like there's just there's so much more to the combat that I'm I'm really enjoying. That said, speaking of more, there's more of everything in this game, including like upgrades for um your armor and and oh my gosh, the the upgrade system feels much bigger than it did in the last game. Yeah, I couldn't really remember. So in the last one, all I really remember about the the armor in the last one was it got interesting but only in the end game. Whereas before that, there was a lot of this feeling of like, oh, I got one level higher armor, yeah, you know, and a lot of replacing with like random bits and pieces. So what is the big difference here with the armor? Because I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. So from what I can tell, the big difference here is that in the last game, you could upgrade all your armor, but there are only like a very few specific pieces of armor that could fully be upgraded, like all the way to the most powerful ability. So you, you kind of kept trading to get to that yeah you didn't want to invest in something that was going to be capped out basically yeah so like the stuff you had early you're like well i'm surviving so i guess i shouldn't invest in this where i get this sense from here like no it wants you to just pick what kind of matches your play style Mm -hmm. so like do you just want armor that is like kind of well-rounded do you want armor that is way more focused on strength do you want armor that's way more focused on defense and then you are building your character around that and then upgrading dependent on on your character type. And for me, an example that I'll, I'll give of how I, I kind of rethought all of this is at the beginning, you get two shield options. You get a shield that is kind of the impenetrable shield. It, it's good. Like for, a big, heavy, like, th- big, you, know, you know, you get hit, but you barely move. Exactly. Kind of 
And then there's also a high-risk, high-reward shield where if you're using it with parries, you can really stun enemies. Yeah. But if you try to throw it up against most attacks and it's not a parry, it, you're going to get stunned, right? Yeah. And I, I, I was like, great. You know, I, I played The Last God of War. I was aces at it. I'll use, I'll use the parry shield. And was miserable. I mean, like, just getting obliterated, especially, again, now that all the characters are flanking you, and it, it, there's just much more to be aware of. So I switched to the the big heavy shield, and once I did that, I was just destroying everything. And what I realized was, okay, well, now I have my defense taken care of. I can switch all of my gear to, like, really, really strength-focused. And now my character is just a bowling ball of hate. Like, I go into a new environment, and I just, you know, punch, punch, punch. If anything dares somehow get through my obliteration, I throw that shield up for half a second. They hurt their hands, and then I go back to my campaign of of, of death and, and tolerance. Yeah. Um, it's, it is, yeah, it, 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 I like it. I just worry if it's... I don't know. I I just, do, I, I do worry if now? it's like too, well, not too easy. I just worry if it's almost like too much, because while I I like having all of those options, the things that I worry about going in, in into the rest of the game, and who knows where it's going to go. Maybe they have solutions for this. Is like, well, what's going to prevent me from just sticking with the thing that I yeah chose now that seems to to make me this this angry god of war, and like. What could make me more of like a playful god of war, or like a, a you know like a a, a a a god of war that focuses on juggling, which I love to do with enemies, but is not really what my character's built for. Or like, will I ever get back to you know being more of like a graceful god of war with parrying? Right? Yeah. Um. I, I'm. I'm sure. I mean, it's it definitely seems to be generous with resources. So maybe like. Just by virtue of me being able to upgrade everything pretty easily, I'll, I'll I'll give things a shot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this game sort of expands. Because what I have heard is that a it's much longer than the original, like maybe potentially twice as long as the original reboot. Um, this is all rumor guesses. Yeah, no, I don't know that for sure. I've just heard through the grapevine. And um, B. It's interesting because the game starts you with so many tools at the beginning where you have your axe, you have your blades of chaos, you have your shield, and all of those have their own combos and moves and you can switch between them at will. So you have so many tools at your disposal in the combat that are like literally minute one to the point where I was like, how are they going to expand this? Because yeah. it's already a lot to sort of take in. Not in a bad way. It just gives you a lot of opportunities to like expand your options. Yes. It but I would also add, it's worth remembering that this is a Sony Santa Monica game. Basically, all the first person PlayStation games have been very, very good about accessibility. So in addition to all these options you have in the game, like using game tools, also in the game are these accessibility options where you can make the game, obviously, you know, difficulty, you can make it easier, um, all sorts of like vision accessibility stuff, hearing accessibility stuff. So you can really like fine tune the whole experience to your will, which is great. It's awesome to see that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It It's so weird to talk about the game right now because as you said, the the embargo limitations are so limited 
that um, we can't like go into story stuff or anything. And honestly, I think it's for the best because y'all should experience the story yourself. But the like tools at my disposal are so robust that I'm very excited about the next however many hours it's going to be. Yes. And here's my guess off that. And and it's safe to say a guess here because I don't think either of us have actually played past the embargo area. Correct. I stopped right there. Yes. Even though I wanted to play more, I just wanted to... I wanted to record this first. Yes. So I can make this guess. I My guess, and this is me going off of Sony's history of embargoes, is that there is like going to be something like an hour that changes the game fundamentally. They keep doing this. They did it with Death Stranding and the weird embargo there where it was like, hey, uh, how about you just watch the cutscenes? And then it's like, wait, don't you want me to talk about this huge open world? Yeah. Um, and then with Last of Us 2, I felt like I remember that being a bit of a thing. And it just feels like you're well, right. Certainly they, the Abby yeah. thing. Not and, to mention the Joel thing in Last of Us 2. Like, that was a pretty... Yeah. Yeah. When they, they just give... They give you so much up top and knowing even if it's the exact same length as the previous God of War, there just has to be like, I just feel like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah, I, I'm sort of in that camp, too, to the point where I'm like, because I'm very spoiler paranoid, as you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I kind of want to get through it just so I don't have it ruined for myself, even though I'm enjoying myself. Um, I do agree. I feel like there's something a cloud floating on the horizon that is going to be like, oh, this is going to change fundamentally what we consider this game to be. Yeah. So you you didn't do the side quest. We should actually talk about kind of like what you do in the game. Again, it's kind of hard when we're not talking about story. Yeah. I, I, mean, I feel I'll, like I I'll can't just say that story I, on side quest. I more or less mainlined the story, even though they like very clearly at one point are like, hey, you could go over here if you <laughs> yes, want. Yes, yes, yes. Or so, you could go over here. Let, let, let's talk about that. So there's like an hour and a half of the game, which is just kind of getting you back in into the swing of things. You know? Yeah, it's just Kratos and Atreus having a fun old time, and then something sends them on their way, uh, as you expect to happen in this sort of hero's journey, and they literally come to a fork in the road, or I guess like a fork in the river. Yeah, and the game is like, hey, if you go left, that's going to take you to the critical path. But if you go right, there's a whole bunch of side quest stuff. If you're into that sort of thing, no pressure. But it like you can see what is to the right. And it's like this massive lake full of all of these interesting things to do. And you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? At least that's what I was feeling. I mean, I would have done that too if I wasn't on a time crunch. So I get through this. Sure. My normal place that would have been to check it out. And, and I want to make sure we actually talk about Critical Path after this too. So, yeah. But so I'm like, okay, great. Like, I'll go do that. Yeah, like, you know, we have a limited amount of time. We want to record this episode. But what, what could it be? Like an hour? Dear listener, <laughs> it's a full day. I mean, it's so much. So basically what happens is, uh, what, what's the name of the talking head? Mamir. Mamir is like, hey, I did some bad things in the past. And it, it seems like a lot of side quests in the game are you kind of like making good, or at least yeah. in this chunk of the game, on uh, on some of his behavior. So you decide that you are going to destroy these um mining facilities and there are three three or four of them right and each one of them is would have been a good side quest on its own you're just traveling from one to the next like oh here's an entire area and this area has its own unique puzzles it has its own unique rewards you're meeting some new enemy types um 
and then eventually you have like somewhat of a mini boss and then you destroy uh, a mining thing. You get, you get to do this three times in this huge lake environment where you're traveling from one to the next. But there are also unmarked areas of the lake environment that are also their own little stages, some yeah. bigger than others. And then, and I'm not going to give the specifics here because I, I think it, it's a thing I don't want to spoil for anybody. There was a an item that I came across. That I was like, oh, whatever. I guess this is like a key for like a treasure chest or something. I almost don't use it because I'm like, ah, I want to get to the the critical path. I'm like, eh, it's on the way back. I'll just I'll use it really quick and see whatever I get. And it is not a key. It opens another humongous side quest. Humongous, wow. like humongous. Yeah. And it, it was it was just that thing where I I like literally laughed when it happened because it, it it's such a flex of okay, this is what the scale of the game is. It's absolutely ginormous. Yeah. And it's at the same time, I kind of admire it from a like a design point of view, because if you didn't want to do any of that, if that's just not what you're here for, if you're just here for the story, the game was totally chill with that. It didn't seem like it would punish you in any way. But <laughs> if you want to just keep getting more and more and more and more to do, the game is just like, it's a buffet, right? You could take the first thing you see, or you could take a little bit of everything down the line. Um, And and a most important bit, all of it was, like, pretty fun. I I wouldn't say it was, like, revolutionary. It didn't, like, rock the world. But if if what you want is more God of War, if that's what you are going into this experience looking for, I have a feeling you are going to be thrilled. (laughs) Yes. Because I think it's delivering that, like, in just a staggering amount. Yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine. I think the first game took five years to develop. This game was four and a half years. But consider how much of the first game was probably designing and developing just the combat engine, like just figuring out how is combat going to feel good. And that, because it was so revolutionary when it came out, was probably an astonishing amount of pre-production, just like hammering that out and then fine-tuning it. So considering that they basically dialed it in you know, not 100%, but pretty damn close in the first game. Now they can really just focus on like, we're going to throw in a ton of content. We're going to give you a lot of options and just like polish the whole thing up. So it feels like this, as you said, a buffet, I think is, yeah, spot on. So talk me through the uh, the the critical path. because Yeah, so the critical path stuff, um, again, I'm not going to talk spoilers or story beats, but effectively it leads you to this dungeon that is like very puzzle heavy. And this is not far off from uh, anything that happened in the first game, which also had a ton of puzzles. There's a lot of like throw your ax, which causes things to freeze and by freezing allows, let's say like water to overflow out of like a tub and that water pushes a, a spinning wheel around to move a thing. So there's like a lot of that. And um, even in the, like, just getting there, there's a lot of, like, puzzly stuff like that. And you're sort of bouncing between that and then, like, a combat encounter and then back again, Um, which, again, I I find them both very satisfying. There are definitely a few puzzles in here, even in the early hours, where I was, like, really pretty stumped for, like, probably longer than maybe they even intended me to be stumped. I think a lot of that is just me relearning the, like, language of the game and what it's trying to tell me. But they 
are pretty subtle with like the signposting of like, you should hit this thing with ice powers because it's going to re- result in like whatever, you know, sometimes Atreus yeah. will be like, Hey, you might want to try this or, Hey, let's take a look at this thing. But sometimes it'll just sort of stand there and wait for you to figure it out. And it kind of, kind of made me feel like a dummy a couple of times. I mean, I got it, but uh, that's the thrill of playing games pre-release. You have no guides to look up. Yeah. I almost expected it to have something like, um, you know where you push in the joystick and it gives you the vision of oh, yeah. items that are usable? Yeah. Like something like that in the game. Because there were a number of times where I was like, what am I even looking for yeah. here? At the same time, I'm always glad when the game doesn't include that because if it's there, I just end up spamming it. Yeah, and it kind of, it reminded me of Breath of the Wild, like its puzzles, because you don't have that many tools at your disposal, at least early on. So, you know, I have the ice, I can set things on fire with the Blades of Chaos, like there just aren't that many variables, so yeah. I it was gonna happen. I was gonna be able to figure it out. I'll be interested to see if they maybe throw me more of a bone later on. And I, I'll add to that and say I think there's an accessibility option that like will give you even more directed puzzle solving help if you want it. So that's pretty cool. Mm, yeah, I also wonder between the accessibility options. And just the knowledge that people have a cell phone and can Google things. Yeah. If developers feel more empowered to, you know, be a little more difficult with their puzzles. Yeah, I wonder. I, 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 feel, I feel like people design, most people, I think the best designers, design with the game in mind, which is to say you shouldn't need to look stuff up to be able to solve the thing. Um, and I think that's the case here. I think the the game is designed not requiring online guides or anything like that. I'm sure there are developers that like use the internet as a uh, a crutch and mm-hmm. like, oh, you could just look it up and get past this bit. But yeah, I don't know. I think in this case, they it is all like all the to- tools you need are at your disposal. Before we move on, what was your favorite moment so far of, of the game? Yeah, <laughs> there's a moment where uh, I don't know. I'm going to be really careful about story stuff. So Kratos basically runs into some two characters. Some old um, friends. Some friends. And and one of the characters is like, hey, Cr- hey, Kratos, do you need a, do you need a, are you hungry? Do you need a snack? And Kratos in his full on Kratos voice, I do not need a snack. <laughs> that is dynamite. Hearing it's Kratos great. say, I do not need a snack is just like my kind of gem right there. My favorite is that uh, they have to take a train. It looks like, a, imagine there's like a little locomotive made of wood. Yeah. That is meant for the, um, the like, dwarf craftsmen. Yeah, it's like a dwarven, yeah. uh, like, mine shaft and they, thing. And uh, Kratos and Atreus have to take this little one-car train together. And it's just so cramped and funny to me. The, the game... It's interesting. On one hand, I think it's like a bit more melodramatic at times, and it, I think I think I think it might swing for some very big emotions too much too early. Mm. Um, for my taste, yeah. Uh, that said, it's also much funnier early on than the than God of War One was. Yeah, like, I think mostly just because you have met more people by mm. now, whereas the first beginning of god of war the original was like 
you and Atreus in the woods hunting for like six hours on your own. You really don't meet very many people. But here early on, we've already mentioned Mimir. Mimir's in it, you know, the head. And he's like the dedicated comic relief. There are other like humorous characters, but, you know, hearing him sass it up as you're in the middle of a fight or whatever definitely helps lighten the mood. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think they just have a better handle on the characters in general. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, yeah, um, it's good. I, yeah. it, 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 it's it's very good. It, it, nothing about it yet has hit that like, oh, this is going to be a great game. Like a, one that really sticks with me. Yeah. But like I said, I think the biggest thing is I feel like they're hiding something from me. I think so, <laughs> too. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to figuring out what that is. And like. That's pretty great. I love I love that I, I have that going in. I would say that I, I feel like I've been playing a little too long to have it hidden from me for this long. But that's also my choice to play every damn side quest. That's true. Uh, so I, I feel like they, they could play half me for another three or four hours and not have anything. And I'd be fine because I went right for the main line. He <laughs> <laughs> figured it out. Um, cool. Well, uh, we'll be talking about that more in, I think, about like two weeks when... When Somewhere on the there, yeah, we'll embargo. do a full Besties episode about it. Who knows, maybe we'll follow that up with a spoilery episode, kind of depending on how we all feel about it, but certainly uh, we'll do a big a Besties because it is one of the biggest releases of the year. Okay, after the break, Frush is going to tell me about the latest game from the creator of Super Meat Boy, a game that has been in development for a very long time, and honestly, I kind of forgot that it was going to come out. I'm very excited to hear more about it. Mugenics after the break okay so mugenics this game is real that first can you confirm it's real it's real i played it so it is real it's real to me at least um mugenics has such a bizarre history it's it's developed created by the uh, edmund edmund mcmillan who created binding of isaac super meat boy certainly one of the better known indie developers he was in the indie game the movie and Mugenics was a game that was first announced 10 years ago, almost to the day. It was October of 2012 this game was announced. Was it before Binding of Isaac? It was bef- It was after the original Binding of Isaac came out, but I think before Binding of Isaac Rebirth came out. Mm. It gets confusing with Binding of Isaac. But suffice it to say, it is ancient, and the fact that it is actually coming out now is kind of a story on its own. So I'm going to try to like light speed through the development and why it's taken 10 years. So uh, Super Meat Boy was made by Tommy Refinis and Edmund McMillan. Um, They were called Team Meat at the time. They had a split. It seems like it, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like it was a pretty acrimonious split um, somewhere in the mid 2010s. And basically... Tommy went off with his team, got the rights to Super Meat Boy and made Super Meat Boy Forever, which came out uh, a year or two ago and was not well received. And Edmund got the rights to Binding of Isaac and eventually Mugenics, which is this game. But there was a big chunk of time in the middle of that where no development was happening with Mugenics because it was essentially in kind of a legal spat over who owned the IP and rights to it. Uh, you know, I spoke to Edmund when I played the game earlier this week, and um, he is like very cautious and careful about what he's allowed to say regarding that stuff. So he's not willing to give like a ton of details, but that I think highlights a little bit on what was happening there. Anyway, the game when it was announced 
10 years ago was essentially a life sim, like a Tamagotchi style thing where you have a house and you fill it with cats and the cats can be bred and you get more cats and you send the cats on like little battles where like Pokemon style, like battles against single enemies. And then you go back to your house. Did you, did you ever see those YouTube videos where people are like opening snake eggs and like, Oh, I got like a rainbow glow in the dark snake. And they like, in this game breeding, or in no, real life? like re, in the real life. And they were like no. breeding snakes. And no. like the whole thing was like just expert snake breeders. And it, it had this like weird moment on the internet. That is like my mental image of this game is like you're creating weird ass cats. Yeah, oh, that is true. But it is sort of evolved from there. So that's where it started from was just this life sim. So it went through this kind of turmoil. And then um, Edmund got the rights back and paired up with Tyler Galeo. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that last name right, who he made uh, The End is Nigh with. It was a platformer Mm. that came out a couple years ago. And they started basically prototyping new ideas for Mugenics that weren't just the, um, you know, life sim Tamagotchi stuff. Even Edmund admits, like, he was basically the only person that was super jazzed about the game as it existed back in 2012 or 2014 when it was shown at PAX. So he admitted that, like, it basically needed a lot of work to get into, to become a new game. So they knew that they wanted it to still have the cat breeding stuff, but they didn't know, like, what else the rest of the game was. They tried a few things. They tried to make, like, a Castle Crasher-style, like, brawler game, like a side-scrolling brawler. Mm. That didn't really work. They tried making a real-time strategy game. That didn't work. And what they landed on was a turn-based tactical strategy game in the spirit of, like, Final Fantasy Tactics, Fire Emblem, Into the Breach, (laughs) that kind of thing. (laughs) Okay. With cats. Um, I love the commitment to the bit that they were like, we will make this. We will keep the title and the cats. I mean, yeah, I I get the sense that Edmund in particular, A, loves the title, but B adores cats cats are like a big focus Mm -hmm. in all of his games they appear a lot he has like all of the cats that have ever died uh that he owned in real life have appeared in like binding of isaac and various other places Mm -hmm. definitely a cat lover but he also i think is like uh, unquestionably like very interested in design and and how to make things work and they landed on this idea the turn-based tactical strategy game So I'm going to try to like summarize how these two halves exist. So there's still the cat breeding that is still part of the game. Thank goodness. So thank God. The uh, I mean it wouldn't work without with the name. You would need the cat. It would be a real problem. It would. So you basically take this squad of let's say four cats. You start with four cats out on these uh, quests. So the quests progress and they'll be like individual like battle scenes where you're fighting, you know, maybe it's a bunch of insects, maybe there's like giant mice, whatever. And so those battle scenes take place and you've got the cats that are like classed, like traditional D&D characters. So you've got like a tank cat, you've got like a hunter cat, mage cat, etc. And as you go through those missions, you'll level up, you'll earn new active abilities. So my mage cat, for example, earn the ability to like move twice in a turn by spending mana. You know, if you've played D&D or you played um, Wildermyth is like, feels very close to this mm-hmm. in terms of how the characters progress. So all that stuff is going on. And if you complete a run, which could take like an hour or two, you get to go back to your house. 
And once you're back at your house, that is where the breeding sim commences. So the idea is you can pair (laughs) existing cats. I'm sorry. But you can pair existing cats. You basically just put them in a room (laughs) and hope for the best. And sometimes it doesn't work out. They don't click. It doesn't always happen. But if things work out, you get a kitten. And the kitten will have aspects of the two parents. They might be visual aspects. They might be like, whatever. Like it has the ears of the dad and the fur color of the mom. But it might also... Uh, have some of their abilities so maybe it passed down maybe the dad had like fangs like as a passive ability that when you do damage it like gives you health back it's like a you know a lifesteal thing so maybe the baby has that so the idea is you're trying to like make this perfect squad of cats using the parentage of the previous cats but all this time time is passing right so the cats are getting old Eventually, if they get too old, they can't go out on adventures anymore. You might still be able to breed them, but they can't fight anymore. (laughs) So you've got them back at your house, but you're still building up more cats through the breeding process Uh to go on adventures and just sort of like maintain that process. And it eventually leads to this like overarching meta game where like someone eventually comes to your house because you have too many cats. I don't know who this is. They were very vague about the details. And you have to like fend them off. And the only cats that can fend them off are the old cats that are stuck at home. There is like so much going on in this fucking game. I'm like only How, scratching the surface. <laughs> so I, I just tried to find an image of what the new game looks like. Yeah. And I, I found that via a tweet from Edmund from December 2021. Okay. And in the tweet, he's like, Hey, Mugenics is the greatest game I've ever worked on. I've never worked on something that I caught myself playing for fun over and over instead of working on it, especially this early in dev. And here's the key part. We have about two years of dev left. And yeah. it already feels very alive. So where are they? Are they? Is that true? Are they about one more year away from this game being in my hands? <laughs> so I will say that Edmund is traditionally very bad at guessing how, when his games will come sure. out. Um Tyler's better at it, but he's he's not the one tweeting. So uh, in this case, I asked them, and I just saw the game this week. So it was October of 2022, and they are putting it at a year and a half now. Oh wow! And may, I I think I'd be I'd be shocked if it wasn't two years from now. So October 2024 would be my guess. But again, who knows? the The problem is the game is so enormous. I haven't even talked about like. While you're in combat, there's like all sorts of wild interactions where like if you set grass on fire, the fire will spread and it'll like if there's like a block of ice, it'll melt the ice and then the ice will make a puddle. And if you're standing in that puddle and you get hit by lightning, you'll get like shocked by the light. There's all sorts of like elemental interaction stuff Yeah, that makes the combat even more complex than that. All that stuff is track all your all your parentage and like family tree stuff is tracked entirely. And I asked Edmund, I was like, people are going to be really upset when their, like, favorite cat dies, right? Like, people play Fire Emblem games and are, like, very careful about, like, oh, this is my favorite character. I've had them forever. I can't lose this cat or can't use this, lose this Fire Emblem character. And so uh, he's like, yeah, honestly, we're building something with permanence in mind. We want you to have to sort of accept the reality of this world and the rules of this world and just like kind of progress from it. He was using the example as like, you'll lose a cat if it dies, certainly. But also there'll, there'll be situations where maybe your save will be like 
three to 400 hours long, let's say, you've been playing mm-hmm. the game for that long, which is how long, more or less, I've played Binding of Isaac. He said there are items in the game where you'll only get one of them. You ever, you'll only get one of them. And if your cat, you equip your cat with this item and that cat dies, you will never in your save ever see that item again. It's gone. So he's trying to make this like weirdly permanent thing that has all sorts of like implications and and uh, just punishment. I'm not exclusively punishment, but sort of an insurance assurance that like what you're doing matters and what the choices that you make have like a permanent outcome, which is very bold. I mean, Binding of Isaac doesn't do that. Every run is basically starting from scratch. Um, so it is. Mm. I'll be very curious to see if it all comes together into a game, but here's what I will say. What I played, and I played probably an hour or two of the combat itself, feels very good and very interesting. Like, I was immediately invested in my squad of cats. It felt like an infinite number of options were kind of spreading out in front of me of how I could, like, build them up and, like, oh, I could make these two cats, and that would be pretty cool. I want to see what happens there. So it is... I mean, it if they a, can pull it off, the, the, the trifecta in indie dev to me yeah. is one of the most impressive things that you can do. If you can launch three different games, so yeah. not just sequels to the series, and they're all great. It, it's very precious. As in, like, I think of, like, Maddie Thorson has had two. Yep. Um, the team that did Into the Breach have had two that are yep. of, that, of that caliber. Uh, Edmund is at two right now. Like, I, I'm... I'm trying to think of that many people who've managed to do the triple. It's extremely rare. Because realistically, like, the guaranteed money is like Edmund just making Binding of Isaac 2. Like, that, that is like guaranteed money for you. And uh, I think at this point, he's not... I mean, honestly, I, I've I've been interviewing him for almost my entire career. He's been doing this. He made Gish back in, mm, I want to say, yeah. 2003. Um, he's been making indie games and he's never been interested in doing the like, this is going to be profitable. I just think he has very good design sense and that pays off with his fans and with people that like really well designed games. Yeah. So, <laughs> I also wonder if it's like uh, at a certain point, do you even need to make anything anymore? I mean, you know, like, that, is sure that why we've lost doesn't. some? Yeah, there, there are some people who I always wonder, you know, like a Phil Fish with Fez, right? Or... There have been a few indie developers along the way who've done, they just made so much money off of. Yeah, but I, I think there are also, as I'm sure you would imagine, like, like if you hit the lotto tomorrow, are you sitting on a beach in Tahiti for 10 years? Probably not. Oh, no, most, most people aren't. I know I, we do know some developers who oh, yeah. have done that and, and more credit to them. I mean, pretty incredible to actually be able to calm your brain and be like, you know what? I don't need to do this. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. I'm excited. I'm excited to try it in like five years. I, yeah, it's so, I asked them, I was like, why are you showing it now? What's the point? It seems so like at most, usually indies show their stuff like three months before launch. And what he said, which was interesting was the perception was that eugenics was a animal life sim essentially Mm -hmm. and so he wanted to basically like before they started like really rolling out their promotion of the game set the record straight and be like no it's actually this like it's really a combat first game with uh, the breeding part of it kind of supporting the combat 
Whereas before, I think it was more of a breeding game with combat as sort of an afterthought. I think that's smart. I also think there is an unhealthy level of parasocial expectation on indie devs. Sure. Especially indie devs that have already been so, you know, like generous with their updates of yeah. their other games that you have scenarios where people are like, where, where, where's my latest update to, to Binding of Isaac? If, like if you're, if you're not releasing anything, then why are you not giving me more updates? Yeah. And, and then like, the flip side of that is when they do give updates and because game development is a total mess and pain in the ass and the updates, updates don't end up happening because of whatever reason, they eat so much shit for that. So developers kind of learn the lesson of, oh, I better be really careful with what I say now. Yeah, so, yeah I think that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, we got a little bit more time. Do you want to talk Halloween movies? Sure. Okay. So I think we'll make this relatively quick, but I thought it could be useful for our listeners because we love talking movies here. And we have gotten quite a few questions of like, hey, what do I watch if blank is my situation? Yeah. So like if I want to watch something with the family, if I want to get into slashers, I want some extremely scary. So I, I have some of those categories and I wanted to go through them and see if you had some recommendations and I'll share some of my own. I have not actually planned anything here. So we'll be going off the cuff. Okay. Um, but I wanted to start with the one that I think you will be most ready for, which is yeah, family. Yeah. Yeah, so we should mention, and I've mentioned this before, I do not watch a lot of scary movies, like very, very few, I would say. But obviously, family-friendly family scary movies, I've certainly watched. I don't. I know there's some debate over whether Nightmare Before Christmas counts as a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. I think both, and I certainly think uh, Halloween, this would fit. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a, that's a great pick. Um... So, I, uh, wait, I've got another family one for you. Okay. Paranorman is also oh. another very good Halloween movie. You took mine. It, it, uh, you know what, though? Paranorman, you, both of these movies are other holidays. Paranorman, to me, a great Thanksgiving movie. Is it? I thought it was yeah, a because, Well, it's but it's like kind of about Salem-ish and yeah. pilgrims. And they have like a big pilgrim performance. Oh, So it's not technically Thanksgiving, but... I like this because, okay. you know, by the time people are getting this episode, who knows if uh, they even maybe maybe they're past Halloween. That's true. Mine, uh, very much just an original classic, but the Ichabod Crane, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, the Disney animation version, I think. Is, not the Tim Burton. You know, that movie's not that bad, but yeah. it does have um, a goblin in it who I, <laughs> I don't want to watch in movies anymore. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, to get the great Christopher Walken performance, you would have to watch the uh, Johnny The Depp. Goblin. Yeah, the <laughs> Goblin. Um, uh, slasher. Have you watched any slashers? Before? I mean, I've, I've... Would you count um, Children of the Corn as a slasher? Not really. What would it be, so. though? Mm, like, Isn't I don't that know, just like, like a lot of slashers? I, I, one, Children of the Corn, kind of a mess. But f I would like folk horror. It's not even that. Okay. I don't well, know that, what, what I'm saying is it. like, no, I have not seen a okay. lot of slashers. I'm going to put Children I... in the Corn here, even though it's not, just because, hey, <laughs> in big question marks. It's very um, funny. I I just watched um, The Slumber Party Massacre for the mm. first time, which is like very raunchy, as you might guess from the title, and very trashy, um, but also like kind of a blast. It is on that Criterion 80s collection. Yeah. And then, I mean... You know, you can't go wrong with just the original Halloween. 
there's a new Halloween out. I don't recommend anybody go and watch it, especially if they have not watched other Halloween movies. I read the synopsis on Wikipedia. It sounded very dumb. shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Okay, so next one. What is the scariest movie that you've seen? Uh, It's probably Blair Witch Project. Oh, good. That's a good one. Yeah. That was, that, uh, that was... I mean, I don't know if it would hold up now, but when I saw it in the theater, I was like 15. Oh, it's and terrifying. that shit stuck with me. It's still so upsetting. I mean, yeah. found footage in general, I find very upsetting. But the whole thing for people who were not around for when that came out, the rumor was that it was real. Like, yes. That was the whole marketing campaign. Very effective marketing. I this, was yeah, somewhat, this is real. somewhat convinced. And this was found and and we're just showing it to you. Like yeah. that's it. You know, you don't it, it, it's so upsetting. Yeah. And even when you know it's not real, there's still part of it's like, yeah, but what if it is? What if what if they got in trouble and then you just can't say it's real because they you know, they would get shut down. And I I would also add like I think people underestimate the like acting chops of the kids oh, that were in sure. it. Because it is presented as real and like you buy their fear and their like intensity. And because it's all found footage, it's so um, the frame of view is so tight that you really like are struggling to like get a sense of what's what's around you at any given moment. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think that movie rocks. Um, my scariest. Did you ever see The Strangers from mm-hmm. 2008? Wait. Uh, that's not the one with uh, Pitt where he shows up in the masks, is it? it the... Like three people just show up wearing like effectively like cloth bags over their head. Well, I guess, oh. you know, one has a cloth bag and there are like two masks. What am I thinking of the one where they're dr- they're like dressed as like preppies, but they've got like Halloween masks on and they go to the house of the like rich people and fuck with them? Mm, uh, mm, well, uh, oh, you mean funny games? Yeah, I guess I'm maybe. I'm yeah, that sounds like yet. funny games. Okay. Um, well, the Not strangers, that. what's upsetting about this is just three people show up at a house for no reason and then they kill everybody. Oh, no. And it's just really upsetting because it's completely senseless. It's not like, oh, you know, Michael Myers has this motivation. Jason is doing it for these reasons. You know, there, there must be some message. This is just like, what if people just showed up? Like, are you re- like, how safe are you in your house? Mm. And that's really scary. And it's amazing that it's that scary because the cast is like Lib Tyler, Scott Speedman, and Glenn Howerton from It's Always Funny in Philadelphia. Wow. It's not like who you would think would be that scary, but I, man, that movie just like, it really stuck with me. Um, uh, any Any classics, any like old movies that are... I guess maybe some Hitchcock or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I, l- I love um, Psycho is like pretty much a perfect movie to me. Yeah. Um, the Birds is fun. I like The Birds. Uh, I'm trying to think of non. I remember seeing. <laughs> uh, you know, what's a good one is Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, that movie <laughs> is good. I'm sorry. I wasn't. No, Young Frankenstein. Is no, I'm going to both. <laughs> Only because I have a story about Young Frankenstein, I remember seeing it when I was very little and didn't understand that it was a comedy. So oh when the gosh. when Frankenstein like steps on the seesaw and the kid goes flying, I was like, "What the fuck am I even watching?" <laughs> I mean, fair. 
Um, uh, for me, I mean, any Vincent Price, like House of Wax, that type of stuff mm, is yep. very fun. Um, uh, and then, uh, any Charlton Heston, who, complicated figure. Sure. But stuff like the Omega Man and Soylent Green, those are legit good movies. Yeah. Like, th- th- I feel like they've been so, um, memed. you know, yeah, memed. No, well, and, and then the, the, num- the number one of that. Uh, did you ever watch uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? No. The one that was like meme to hell of Donald Sutherland? No. Fresh. This movie rules. I know that you have your, your movie club. You mm-hmm. should. This movie is like unbelievably good. Um, Donald Sutherland is just so immensely talented. That, Don't Look Now. I mean, dude just was in some all-time classics. And yeah, I, I feel like. I don't know. They were almost so famous that th- people like kind of assume like, oh, they must be silly. And it's like, no, they're just great. They're just great movies. Um, okay, one more round. Just a wild card. Any 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 last movie that you would want to make sure people see that didn't meet any of these categories? Mm, Halloweeny movies. You give one, maybe something will spring to mind. Um, I'm gonna give Ginger Snaps. Have you ever heard of Ginger Snaps? There's like a wolf in it, right? Yeah, it's a, it, yeah, wolf, werewolf movie. Uh, yeah. Canadian from 2000. I think we may have even talked about it on the show once. But it, yeah, it, fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm going to move Young Frankenstein there. I've never scary. seen it, but I the one... Here's a wild card for you. The one um, box art that has stuck in my brain forever... <laughs> You probably know. See, can you guess which memorable box art is springing to mind? I mean, well, can you give me like a clue? I mean, is the there one blood? clue? I'm, sorry, is there blood? No. There, there is. I mean, it's going to give it away. There's okay. a toilet. There's a toilet. Is <laughs> there like a hand coming out of it? Is it Chud? No, no, no. It's not Chud. It is. Uh, I think it's Ghoulies Two. Ghoulies Two. A movie you have not seen and that we are recommending to people. This is great. I can't, yeah, it, I can't imagine that that will bite us in the ass. <laughs> it's called. I'm sorry. It's just called Ghoulies. I thought it was Ghoulies too for some reason. There, there is well, a one too. Taking it too. But the box art is just. I remember seeing this in the rental store when I was a kid. It's just a toilet, like a straight-on shot of a toilet, and in the toilet is like a little goblin boy wearing suspenders, and it says. Uh, Ghoulies, they'll get you in the end, is the tagline. <laughs> it's great. That's, that's the good stuff. I mean, how many box art as a kid just like utterly terrified you or just stuck in your brain? You know, I yeah. feel like there are so many times I would see a thing and I'd be like, yeah, I'm a, one day I'm going to be brave enough to rent that. And I never, ever did. I was Ghoulies 2 too is 4.6 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. Wait, so. Is it Ghoulies or Ghoulies 2? I think there's some, it was, has to do with a localization thing where like, in certain regions, <laughs> Ghoulies 1 didn't come out, so Ghoulies 2 was Ghoulies 1. Okay, it looks like Ghoulies 2 is the one with the toilet. No, they both have a toilet. Ghoulie- oh, well, because they're probably both about poop monsters. Yeah, because I'm looking at a Ghoulies 2 oh, poster that has two. Right. Oh, it's very complicated. So I, I, I can confirm, Ghoulies 1 is a better poster. Ghoulies 2 looks... Like Ghoulies One's poster did okay. Like people liked yeah. it. Ghoulies One poster. Sorry, I I, I described this. Imagine the Chucky doll, and yes. then you you tore off all of its hair and spray painted the skin green. Yeah, and then you and then you like 
tried to do your best job of a professional photo of that doll inside of a toilet. And then Ghoulies 2 is like, what if we did the exact same thing, but I told you we had half as much time? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, we're in a hurry. Can you get a Ghoulies? And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, Looking at photos from this movie, holy shit. I cannot wait to watch this. There, there is not just this like weird reptilian bald Chucky. There's like a giant rat, like festering rat, and they all, I guess, come out of your your plumbing. Are you gonna Holy report back? Shit. Are you gonna watch this and report back? Oh, unquestionably. Oh, boy, I am. I'm wait, 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 wait. There's a photo. Okay, and there is a photo on Google Image Search. One of uh, a pig ghoulie driving a car and another of a ghoulie <laughs> firing a gun. And not just firing it, but like holding it right and like looking down the sights. Yeah, this I guess movie... it's like a Gremlins situation. Oh man, Gremlins. I should have mentioned Gremlins. No, no, you were right on with ghoulies. <laughs> ghoulies is the good stuff. Oh, I, I am. <laughs> I really report back and tell us what you disappoint thought. Me. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Um, any, anything else before we wrap? No, I think we got covered it all. Um, cool. Well, that is it for the show. This week we talked about God of War Ragnarok, specifically the first, like, you know, four to six hours. Um, and we talked about Mugenics, a game from the creator of, uh, Binding Binding of Isaac. And that is not going to come out for a while. Uh, but sounds very promising. And we gave a ton of Halloween movie recommendations, some of which still applicable throughout the rest of the fall uh, and Christmas time season. And that's it. We did it. We made it to the end of another episode of The Resties. Yay. Yay. Well, it's been real. Thank you for joining us. Uh, This is The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties.